You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 4. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 17. Um, we've got about five weeks into Corinthians now. So we've, we've been looking at this, this letter that Paul has written to the church in Corinth. Uh, this is a church he started, and, and so they've, they've, they've contacted him, and, and they said, hey, we've got some stuff going on, we need some advice. He writes them this letter. He actually writes them two letters, uh, second, first and second Corinthians. Dale's talking through second Corinthians on Sunday nights, and, and we're going through first Corinthians on Sunday morning. So, so far, what we've seen up until this point is that uh, he's talking, he makes this main point, and he, and he, and he keeps saying it, and it's, it's basically keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is Christ crucified. It's like, you're, don't get the cart before the horse. Don't, don't jump the gun here. We got we to gotta start with this firm foundation of Christ crucified. And if you don't start with a firm foundation, it doesn't matter how good you build the structure. If the, if the foundation's not there, it's not going to hold up. And so he, he's made this point to him several different ways. He's, he's, and one of them includes telling them that here they are a couple years in, and uh, this, this is, a, it was a tough one, and he says it in chapter 3. Uh, you, you're still only being able to be fed spiritual milk. You, you can't take real food. You haven't graduated to that next step. And Dale has also talked uh, a little bit and entered into the, the disciple, or I'm sorry, the um, uh, discipline portion of, of what's going on in this letter. And between what we're seeing on Sunday mornings and what he's teaching on 2 Corinthians on Sunday nights, I think he's, he's doing a, a really good job on what is a very difficult and touchy subject. I was actually listening to another pastor that I really like. He's out of Texas. His name's Tom Nelson. I was listening to him this week, and he was talking about um, this book and, and, and talking about what it means to talk about church discipline. And he's like, listen, if it wasn't important, God wouldn't have put it in the book. And, and then he said, uh, he said, I think it's a great disservice when churches choose to glaze over that and not teach it. And so I'm thankful to be a part of a church where we strive to grow and, and grow in spiritual maturity. And so we address some of the hard things, and they're not fun, but it's part of growing in our Christian life. So I'm thankful for your guys' prayers and encouraging words to both Dale and I as we move forward, and I think anytime you grow, anytime you seek to follow Jesus, my personal testimony would be that that's the time when I'm under the most attack by my flesh, by the world, by Satan himself. I, I, so what we need to do is, as Paul is talking here to the church in Corinth, we must have this firm foundation as these body blows come from the world, from, from life, we must have this firm foundation, which is Christ crucified. So if you want to follow along with me, we're going to be looking at chapters 4, starting in verses 14 through 17. Paul's just kind of laid it down on them, 
told him a couple of hard things. And so we pick it up in 14. He says this, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children, to, to warn you as my children is what he's wanting to say here. For though you have countless gods in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I urge you to be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, I re- to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So what I want us to look at today, as I said earlier, it, it's of major importance. I, I, I want it to be about the growth of the body of the church and, and, and something that I think is in a lot of ways missing from the modern church. And that's this act of discipleship, this process of living intentionally uh, life on life with others, pouring your life into someone else and, and, and walking together as we walk with the Lord. And so we see this very process uh, molded in what Jesus did with the 12 disciples. He took 12 men, 12 young men, and he spent most every day living with them and day in and day out and teaching them for three years the importance of of his message. And so today we're going to be looking at how Paul did this exact same thing with Timothy and hopefully we'll see the application that it has for us in our lives today. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the full, kind of throughout the whole New Testament, at who Timothy really is and, and some of the attributes that make him a good disciple And this will explain why Paul has sent him to the church in Corinth in these verses that we're looking at right now. So Paul, as you know, is such a major person, a major character in the New Testament because most, most of the New Testament is written by him. And so he has what he would consider many children. But there's something about Timothy that we see that he doesn't say about a lot of others. And, and here we see in Corinthians where he says, For you have countless gods in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Um, so there's this great multitude that Paul can claim as his spiritual children, but there's this one that Paul gives special consideration to, and that is Timothy. And so there's no question about Timothy and why he's uh, special to Paul when, when you really start digging into the New Testament and looking through these letters that Paul wrote. Um, in six of Paul's letters, Timothy is named as his associate and, uh, in, these op- in the opening lines. And in four of those, Timothy is the only one named as uh, associated with Paul. And so from the beginning of this association, Timothy shared Paul's ministry on a permanent basis. Timothy was Paul's disciple. He was his intern. He was his understudy. He was his apprentice. And Paul has been admonishing these, this Corinthian church to focus on Christ and him crucified. And so what he's done here is he sent Timothy to, present, to be presented to them as a role model. Like, here's what you need to be doing. Here's what you need to be doing. Here's the guy that's going to show you how to do it. I can't come right now. I'm in Ephesus. Here's Timothy. He's done this before. We've seen, we've seen him do this with the church in Philippi and, and uh, Berea and some other places. So what does that, what about us? What about today? Uh, 
as far as, as looking at Timothy, why, why do I think this is important? And I want to share a quote with you from an author, uh, Randy uh, Alcorn. He says this, talking about America, talking about where we're at as a nation, and he says, much can be determined about a nation's faith and its future by the character of its role models. Who are the most admired people in America? Spiritual leaders, civic leaders, social reformers? Not hardly. The heroes and idols of America are actors and actresses, jet setters and yacht owners, star athletes, entertainers and rock stars. With a glass of wine in one hand and a joint in the other and somebody's mate on their arm, they prance, jiggle, curse, and swindle their way into the hearts of Americans. Um, such celebrities tell us much about, as much about us as it does about them. So without question, America needs to reevaluate. We need to reevaluate our mental and moral standards for what a role model is. And we need to replace it with, with something that is, that's more true, more tried and true. And that's why I suggest Timothy and why we should look at Timothy as a possible role model to who we should look at and follow. The Apostle Paul, he says this about Timothy. He says, I have no one quite like Timothy. And so when you consider who Paul is and the role that he played, that's high praise for him to say that of Timothy. So we're going to look at a, a brief biblical profile of Timothy and, and using different parts of the, of the New Testament out of Acts and out of the letters to Timothy himself. And we're going to look at five attributes that Timothy had that we need to focus on and, and see if we can't apply those to who we are and how we live our life. And the first is that Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. See, Paul considered Timothy his own son in the faith. Timothy, my beloved faithful child in the Lord. That's what it says in our text right here. Um, in, a, in a brief number of times that we read throughout the New Testament, we see that Paul uh, mentions the same way, Timothy at least five times, the same thing about Timothy at least five times. Paul calls him my own son in the faith, my dearly beloved son, my son Timothy, and, and Timothy, he was my beloved son. And it's apparent from the account of Paul's first missionary journey that Paul was uh, key in leading Timothy to faith in Christ. That's in Acts 14. And Timothy probably, um, we see that he lived in, in Listeria, and it's a city that Paul visited on his first journey. And this was about 47 AD. This is about 17 years after Jesus had been uh, buried, died, buried, and resurrected. And, and so what happens is, after that happens, and the day of Pentecost happens, and, and Saul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and becomes Paul, he becomes part of this church in Antioch. And this church in Antioch, uh, is being led by the Holy Spirit to extend Christianity out into the world. It's, it's time to go forth. It's time to make missionaries and, and go plant more churches and, and reach the world for Jesus. And so they send out Barnabas and Paul on this first missionary journey. And so as they travel westward, everywhere they went, uh, they not only introduced the faith of Jesus Christ, they also stirred up some pretty major opposition to Christ and his gospel. And uh, Lystra which is where Timothy's from, it, was, it wasn't on the original itinerary. It didn't look like it was. It was more of a replacement venue. And so after Paul had, and, and Barnabas had been or persecuted several times, they, they go to this, this uh, town of Lystra, which is kind of this mountain town, little secluded town, and there they meet this guy named Timothy. And 
Timothy comes from this kind of divided home in, in Lystra. His mom was a Jewish woman and his dad was a Gentile. And Lystra had such a small uh, Jewish population that there was no synagogue. So there wasn't a very big Jewish community. So there wasn't a whole lot of religious activity uh, that we're aware of. But what we see is that by the Holy Spirit, Paul gets put in contact with, with Timothy, and Timothy's grandmother and, and mother are the ones who have built into Timothy and, and read in the Word and shown him the Bible. And so through Paul, his, uh, Timothy's grandmother, mother, and Timothy all come to know the Lord. Um, Lois is uh, the grandmother's name. Eunice is the mother's name. And so in Timothy. And so they're all saved. They all, they all come to know Jesus. So Paul was Timothy's father, in the faith, and Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. And so the question is, now that he's, he's a spiritual son, what does that mean? What does that look like? What does a good son do? Well, he, he loves his father. He respects his father. He obeys his father and shows an increasing family likeness to his father. And uh, something that I get a real big kick out of People come up to Whitney and I, and they see our kids, and, and they see Moses, and they're like, man, you guys, oh, he looks just like you guys. You know, and, and I'm like, it gets me pumped. I'm like, heck yeah, he does. That's my son. But the thing is, he's adopted. I mean, he's not our biological son, but he is so much like us. He, he looks like us, and, and there's no way that he's not part of us. I think the same thing about Faithy. She's a little Bisbee. Everything about her, I think she's, she's Bisbee through and through. And so, now stop and think about that as, as a Christian. Think about that as a believer. You see, as Christians, we are adopted sons and daughters of God Almighty. He has brought us into His home. He has made us His children. How great is His love for us. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean for you as a daughter of Christ, as a son of Christ, as, as a daughter and son of God Almighty? It's tough. It means that we are to obey and to follow and look more and more like Jesus. So every growing Christian should have a spiritual son or daughter, someone that they've led to the Lord, and someone who we, we should be nurturing and encouraging and, 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 and hoping that they walk worthy. And as, as a parent disciplines a child, the child should love his parent and grow under the guidance of his parent and carry out the work of his parent. And if you're a Christian, not only should you have that, you should realize that you have a spiritual father or a spiritual mother. Tough question. Do you do right by your spiritual parents, by your spiritual mother or spiritual father? So that's what Timothy's striving to do. He's, he's, he's striving to make uh, Christ his goal as, as he is, as he is uh, for Paul. So here we see Timothy as a son. Next, I want us to see Timothy as a student. So we know that Timothy was a disciple just because he spent so much time with Paul. And the adage, like father, like son, is very true. And Paul was both a great disciple of Jesus Christ and a great 
Christian disciple maker. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, this verse 16, I urge you then to be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of the ways of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. You see, Timothy lived with Paul as Paul sought to imitate the example of Jesus Christ. Timothy saw that the Christian life was set forth before him in the life of Paul. It became his great purpose to see how Paul lived and then to walk in his footsteps. Um, and, and to do so with the purpose of being able to teach other Christians uh, this same life pattern, the same lifestyle. It was true of, of Timothy as it is of most people, I think, that he came to an understanding of what it means to be a Christian by observing the life of other Christians, of other true followers of Jesus. And so after getting a son or a disciple, either by winning someone to the, to the Lord or finding somebody that's already a Christian, the second key to disciple-making is constant, careful instruction of that disciple. I think we drop the ball here a lot. Is, oh, good, we got somebody saved. Next, get somebody saved. Uh, and it's not, it's not, no, 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 there's a continuation. That's not where we stop. That's not where we stop. So in, in 1 Timothy 1.18, the apostle Paul he wrote, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction. And the word instruction describes this activity Paul carried out comprehensively throughout Timothy's life. As an example, Paul, he writes these two recorded letters to Timothy, and they're loaded with instructions in a wide, on a wide variety of topics. Um, and so this verse plainly declares that this instruction was aimed at helping Timothy to, Timothy to fight the good fight. So... A Christian is not likely to be an effective Christian warrior unless we are comprehensively and intentionally taught and trained in all matters of Christian truth. Let me say that again. So a Christian is not likely to be an effective Christian warrior unless he or she is comprehensively and intentionally taught and trained in the matters of Christian truth. So we're to be students. We're to be sons and daughters of God Almighty, and we're to be students. So we see that uh, something else about Timothy here that made him kind of a rarity is that he was a student of the Word. He's a student of the Word. Paul says to him in 2 Timothy three fourteen through 15, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. This is, what, this is a continuation of what his mother and his grandmother have taught him with the Scriptures talking to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you have learned it. Your mom and grandma ain't leading you down the wrong way. They're telling you the truth. Listen to them. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul also admonished Timothy here, to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we have every reason to believe that Timothy did exactly that. We see it in the testimony of the words written about him in the New Testament. Paul encouraged Timothy to give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to the doctrine. That's in 1 Timothy 4.13. And again, we can be sure that he did this. According to Paul, Timothy has been nourished up in the word of faith and that and of good doctrine. 
So what a good role model Timothy can be to you and me today and, and as modern Christians. He was in the Word. He saw the importance of the Word. Timothy was also schooled in uh, the disciple-making process. See, by close observation of Paul, he had hands-on training from Paul himself, and, and it was on-the-job on training. I mean, he learned right away how to, uh, to follow and be a disciple-maker. I don't know about you, but I, I, I learned a lot better with hands-on life application. I mean, Isaac would probably tell you the same thing. You can talk to a guy all day about building a structure but if you build a structure with him he's going to learn it he's going to learn it a lot better and so plato the uh, the greek philosopher he said this learning is remembering and that's true we talk about that here that remember to remember and timothy had great examples stored in his mind from where he had spent time with paul and spent time with his grandmother and, and his mother and how he could recall those events and know that, yeah, this is the way I'm to live. This is the Word of God. This is how I'm to proceed forward. And so we should have that as modern-day Christians. We should pause for a moment throughout our days and think to ourselves, how many times have we seen discipleship right in front of our eyes? How many times have we seen people following Jesus right before our eyes? We should remember those and apply them to our lives. So Timothy wasn't just a spiritual son and a student. He was also a servant. This third attribute is that he was a servant. Paul wrote of Timothy, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. He is loyal and genuinely concerned for you, uh, is what another translation says. You see, Timothy was a young man of unusual understanding and insight and loving concern for people. He, he was the very personification of, of this Christian ideal of servanthood. He, he was a troubleshooter. He was an errand boy for Paul. He, he truly served others. And in our modern world, we're, it's increasingly filled with people that worship at the idol of self. We, we live in a, a country that we have so much, so much abundance, that what we do is we see it and we're like, how can I get more of that for me? And that's, that's a struggle for Christians. It's a, it's a struggle for everyone. But, it, I mean, it's not a struggle that necessarily goes away with, when you accept Jesus. You can still think, wake up in the morning, how am I going to make me happy today? And Timothy is an example of, how am I going to wake up and serve Jesus today? I saw Paul do it like this. This is what I'm going to do. This is, a, this is a greater existence than just me focusing on myself day in and day out. A recent report said that three times as many Christian foreign missionaries return home because of problems relating to other missionaries as opposed to things of learning the language or problems with adjusting to the culture. People are the problem. I'm people. I'm the problem. Um, that's why we've got to focus on Christ as our foundation. So some of the people I most admire are people with this sensitive relationship skill. I, I admit, I struggle. This is one of my struggles. There are 
people here, and, and well, I think Sarah's not here anymore, but man, her spiritual gift was servanthood. She served and served, and there's, there's many of you out here that have that gift as well. But man, what a great gift. What an amazing gift to be able to see somebody in need and to serve them. We talked about the two greatest commandments that God gave, I mean, that Jesus gave us. And according to Jesus, it's, they're all about relationship. And much of the New Testament gives us guidance on this idea of relationship. So the person who is sloppy and slouchy and selfish in relationship, it's, you can't mature as a Christian. You can't. Because you're, if, you're, if you're focused on self, you can't focus on Christ. And if you can't focus on Jesus first, you can't help others. We've talked about it many times. It's about him and them. Worshiping him and helping them. It is the person who is relating redemptively to others that is advancing as a wise Christian. The first uh, necessity of Christian servanthood is this ability to get alongside all kinds of people for the sake of Christ. And the one who is cold and distant can't be a productive follower of Jesus Christ. And so that's what Timothy sees here. He sees Paul interacting with all kinds of people from all of... I mean, he's going to Ephesus, to Berea, to Thessalonica, through uh, um, Corinth, through all these places. He's meeting all these new and interesting people who have all kinds of crazy ideas and different beliefs. And he's like, yeah, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me, let me show you this. Like, you're different than me, and I get it. But let me tell you what you need. You need a Savior, and here he is. And so Timothy has spent all this time with Paul seeing this. And so it's how, how to be the servant that Paul uh, modeled for Timothy is, is what we want to see. So what Paul's role... So what was uh, Paul's role in developing Timothy as a compassionate servant? In 1 Timothy... Uh, 118, it contains this strange sentence, a sentence that could, should be studied very carefully. Paul tells Timothy that he gave his instruction to him in keeping with the prom, uh, prophecies once made about Timothy. You see, Paul had heard several people when he gets to uh, Lystra talk about this kid named Timothy and, and these prophecies of, hey, this guy's going to be, you know, something. He's going to be something. So, Paul didn't disregard these optimistic predictions, but rather he, he got a hold of Timothy. He's like, where's this Timothy guy? He got a hold of him, and he maximized him. He offered Timothy every possible opportunity to fulfill the promise that he showed. And on the basis of these predictions, Paul developed ambitions for Timothy. That's an interesting thing, is he took the time to develop ambitions for Timothy. So that's a... What a ministry that could be for any of, any of us is to identify a Timothy and then develop ambitions and assignments for them uh, so that they can move forward, so that they can better follow Jesus. And so, uh, what is, this, is, this is a bonus to the disciple maker as well because it gets you out of that self-centered, individualistic lifestyle. You're not thinking about me and my and how I can make me happy, but instead it's like, Here's my Timothy. Here's a way. I, here's somebody that I can help find their path, that I can steer towards God, that I can encourage and push. And you teachers in the crowd know this. 
you do this in your classroom. And we as Christians should be identifying other people that we can help the same way. That we can say, hey, have you, have you thought about this? Hey, come with me to this. Hey, come, talk, come with me as I talk to this person and you're going to see what I'm going to say to them and then maybe you can say something to somebody else that you know. And, and so it's, it's this idea of uh, putting people on the path towards Jesus. So we've seen this attribute so far that he's, uh, Timothy's a son, a student, a servant. The next thing I want you to see is Timothy is a substitute. And uh, this, is, this is an interesting one, I think, because in developing sympathy for other people, Timothy was being prepared to play one of the most important roles of his life. And as a disciple, he was this person in training, and he was training uh, under Paul to to be a, a hands-on disciple trainer himself. And one of the roles that Timothy had that he n- probably never anticipated was that he was going to become this master substitute of God's discipleship team. What we see here is that at the very beginning of Timothy's story, he, there's, there's this guy named John Mark, all right? And John Mark is a disciple that's going with Paul and Barnabas. He's a... a of nephew of Barnabas, and and so on their first missionary journey, uh, John Mark hangs it up. He's like, I'm done. I'm going home, and uh, he's like, I, so he, that's in Acts 13. He heads home. So this creates this this kind of void and this tension between Paul and Barnabas, and so they end up splitting up, and they form, form two different missionary teams. So Paul takes this man named Silas, and they set out together. And when they came to, came to Lystra, uh, Timothy's hometown. They found that they needed another helper, someone who was loyable, loyal, teachable, and humble enough to uh, do all these kind of gopher jobs. And so what they found uh, was, was Timothy. They were looking for this exact kind of man, and God provided Timothy. And so Timothy initially became John Mark's substitute on Paul's missionary team. And just think about what John Mark missed out on. He, 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 he's like, I don't, I'm not, this ain't for me, I'm headed home. And so he leaves, but by his defection, uh, God opens the door for Timothy to be a substitute in his place and to become one of God's great messengers in the New Testament. You see, John Mark began as this high-profile worker who was unproven, but Timothy began as this low-profile substitute. And however, through Timothy uh, being a substitute, he remained a co-laborer with uh, Paul for nearly 20 years. So... That begs the question, uh, you know, will you be the servant God wants or, or will we not and God have to put a substitute in our place? Um, I read another sermon from uh, William Elliott. He's a Presbyterian pastor from Dallas. And he, he's got this sermon titled, uh, Wanted Successors to Judas. And he's talking about uh, w- when they select Matthias... Uh, to replace Judas and how Judas had, you know, betrayed Christ and hung himself in remorse. And so there's this, this hole that needs to be filled. There's this gap that needs to be filled. And so the calling of a substitute is, is important. And what's important about it is the very gospel, the very good news of God is based on the idea of substitution. I mean, think about that. 
that Jesus substituted himself for us. He took on our hell and gave us his heaven. And now we're able to be substitutes on earth for him. We're able to be here in his stead. He gives us that ability. So Timothy's lowly role as Mark's substitute prepared him for even a higher role, and that's one of being Paul's substitute. You see, as Timothy developed as a student and a servant, Paul gradually handed over more and more ministry to him. So in Berea, when the Jews uh, from Thessalonica show up and they stir up all the people and Paul has to flee the city, what does he do? He leaves behind uh, Timothy and Silas to complete the work that needs to be done there. He had a plan. There's a purpose for telling Timothy all this stuff, for living life on life with Timothy, because when Paul flees, the message doesn't leave with Paul. Timothy's still there. And Timothy doesn't kind of know what Paul's talking about. Timothy knows exactly the gospel of Paul because Paul's put it into him. On, later on, Paul was set out on uh, numerous mission, or sent out on numerous missions from Paul. Timothy was sent out on numerous missions from Paul uh, as a substitute, as a representative. And uh, as I said earlier, many of Paul's letters have Timothy's name alongside his in the opening. And so here's this astounding picture. Think about this. This pretty astounding picture of the senior executive in Paul, this veteran leader acting as a public relations officer to this junior partner in Timothy. He's, he's pushing Timothy. He knows that his time is coming. He knows that he's going to pass from this world. And he knows that the message, of gospel, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to continue on and on and on and on. So no wonder the work expanded so rapidly and, and, and with such a great vision and because we had these selfless leaders in Paul who was a, who was a spiritual father and the selfless son, student, and servant that we see in Timothy. I mean, recently I read this. Paul almost singly handedly impacted and changed the entire Roman Empire. And I think that's a very true statement. But it also is a little bit misleading because Paul could have never done such amazing, uh, lasting work if he hadn't multiplied his ministry in men like Timothy, who often served as Paul's substitute. You see, when Paul wrote this Corinthian letter, he was in Ephesus. He wanted to come and see the Corinthian brothers and sisters in person, but he wasn't sure of when that would happen. So instead, he sent Timothy to them to be his very own substitute. Paul wanted the Corinthian people to know that if he could not come to them, he would send Timothy, and Timothy's coming in Paul's place would not be a reduction. It wouldn't be a a secondhand thing. It would be as if Paul was there himself. See, Jesus himself said in the Gospels, when the process of disciple-making is complete, the disciple will be like his teacher. And this Paul and Timothy relationship proved this principle. See, Paul says, hey, when I send Timothy, when Timothy comes to you, it's like me coming to you. When Timothy speaks to you, it's like me speaking to you. So Paul had lived so transparently with Timothy that he had transferred his very life to him. And so this is the classic definition of New Testament disciple, disciple making, this close-up transfer of life on life, from disciple maker to disciple. And Paul and Timothy perfectly modeled this pattern. So Paul was the substitute, and he played the role with Christ-like skill. The last thing I want us to see, this final attribute, is, is Timothy as a steward. Uh, Timothy 
Timothy's stewardship. So we see that Timothy was this faithful Christian steward. And the word steward describes a person who manages somebody else's goods for the advantage of the owner. And so in today's church, a lot of times uh, we, we reduce the word of stewardship or stewardness to money. And that's a severe restriction of the word. It's, it's a downgrading of the word. Stewardship includes the management of money, but that is only a small part of this full bi- biblical meaning of the word. In the Bible, all of life is given to each human being as a great gift from God. So this receipt of the gift is to manage it for God's good and God's glory, and to fail to do so is a crime. Do you realize that? To fail to do so is a crime, and the Bible calls it sin. And the very first sin, the original sin, was this misappropriation of God's good by Adam and Eve. See, they were given this entire garden of good fruits to tend and to keep, to manage for their good and for God's glory, but they misappropriated it to their own use, and there was this one fruit that God said, don't touch it, don't eat it, and they did. And they sinned. They committed a crime against God, and that day... They spiritually died to God. So Timothy, here we see he is also given a stewardship, stewardship charge, a responsibility to manage an estate for God's glory. He was given the greatest trust of all, and this trust is referred to numerous times in Paul's letter. Uh, the key word in picturing this trust or of the stewardship is this word of commit, and it can also be translated deposit. So I kind of want to trace this word a little bit in, in Paul's letters to Timothy and, and look at what this means for us today. What, what about this commitment and this deposit? Uh, why, why does that even matter to us today? So Paul himself was a steward of the message of the gospel of Christ. And he said time and time and time again, what an inconceivable, amazing gift that God has given me, this gospel that I can share it with others. Uh, it's, it's such an invaluable treasure. That a price cannot be put on it. And so this idea uh, that it's, it's traced from Paul, he, he, he transfers it to Timothy. And, it, and it's this idea that it's this deposit left for safekeeping in someone's care. It's a deposit left for safekeeping in someone's care. And so there's four deposits, transfer actions, that I want us, I want us to look at real quick. And that is that this first stated deposit in these letters is the deposit of Paul's soul into Christ's care. You see, in 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul wrote, I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed and and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed or deposited unto him against that day. So this first deposit is in the series is where Paul puts his eternal welfare in Christ's hands. And this is this deposit of salvation. And every Christian, if you have called on the name of the Lord, you have made this deposit, this deposit into Christ. When we trust Christ, we entrust our eternal well-being to Christ's care. If you're here this morning and you've not done that, I'd love to talk to you after the service because that's the best deposit you can make. The second is this. There's a second deposit And it's made by God himself into Paul. So after Paul has deposited his soul 
into Christ's hand, God has entrusted or deposited his gospel into Paul's care. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1.11, the glorious gospel of the blessed God was committed or deposited to my trust. And in 1 Thessalonians 2.4, Paul wrote, we were allowed by God to be put in trust with the gospel. You see, Paul was put in touch with the gospel when God's hand of grace met his hand in faith. Then he was put in tune with, the, with it as his life began to adjust more and more to Jesus and his truth. And finally, he was put in trust with it when, uh, to be sure that it had been uh, fully expansive and, and into his life, fully expanded into his life. So never was a trustee given a greater and more responsible trust than this. We have this treasure of the gospel in these earthen vessels in our bodies that Paul says. The glorious gospel of Christ was placed into the hands of frail and sinful man. The eternal God suspended his earthly interest upon a mere mortal man. That's what Paul said. And it's that mystery of Christ. Why did he choose me? Why did he choose us? Why? I mean, we're broken, yet he chose us. So Paul became this carrier and communicator, communicator of the greatest of all treasures. So first deposit, Christ, uh, or Paul's life into Christ. Second deposit, the God's uh, message into Paul. And then this third deposit in this series is made by Paul. And again, it's this transaction that's it's daring. It's unbelievably daring. You see, Paul deposits the gospel that had been entrusted into him into Timothy's care. So this young and timid Timothy becomes a link in the chain of deposits. In 2 Timothy 1.14, Paul counsels Timothy to keep guard. Keep guard by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you that good things which was committed or deposited unto you. Man, that's a powerful word. Such a sentence, it needs to be caref- uh, carefully read and understood. Note the words, guard good things and committed. Um, another pastor says it this way, guard this precious thing placed in your custody by the Holy Spirit who works in you. Guard, precious thing placed in your custody by the Holy Spirit who works in us. 1 Timothy 6.20 says this, uh, says the urgency of the trust, uh, it's, it's highlighted here. He says, oh Timothy, guard that which is deposited in your care. So these last two deposits of the gospel are from uh, the gospel into Paul, and then Paul deposits the gospel from himself into Timothy. And uh, that is stewardship. That is a picture of stewardship. You see, this is a major point. When you see a Christian, when you, uh, when you see that a Christian owns Christ, when you see that we own Christ, we immediately know that we owe Christ. To know that we own him, that he has given himself to us, we see that we immediately owe him. So we, we become this instant manager, this immediate steward of the gospel of Christ and this true stewardship of Christian service. So there's, this, there's a final deposit I want to show you. So Paul has deposited his soul into Christ's hands. Christ has deposited his life and his gospel into Paul's hands. Paul has deposited the gospel into Timothy's hands. Now Timothy was to deposit this gospel into the hands of faithful men who would continue this uh, process of gospel advancement. 2 Timothy 2.2 says this, And these things, the riches of the gospel, that thou, Timothy, hast received by deposit from me, Paul, the same commit, deposit, and trust to faithful men who who shall also be able to teach others also. 
Another translation says, pass on what you've heard from me to reliable leaders who are competent to teach others. See, Paul was to teach Timothy and Timothy to faithful men to others. That's four generations of carriers and communicators, each one as competent as the first to share this good news of Jesus Christ. And it was to be done so in this process of disciple-making. So this brings us full circle back to where we started with this young church in Corinth, right? What do we see? We see Timothy show up. Timothy shows up. And what's he to do? He, he shows up as a spiritual son and a student of Paul. And he shows up to serve as a substitute to teach and develop the stewardship of the church. Paul has spent years and years pouring into Timothy for such a time as this. Now, Timothy is going to do with others what Paul has done with him. You see, that's the mission of Plant Grow Harvest, and it has been since day one. We're going on year eight, and I brought my old shirt just to show you guys. I was going to wear it, but I was going to freeze to death if I did. Plant. We want to see the gospel planted. We want to see the seed planted grow. We want to see each other grow. We want to see each other spiritually mature in Jesus. And harvest, we want to see people come to the Lord. We want to see a harvest of new believers. Am I right? Amen. But that's not it. There's something else on this shirt, right? What is it? Does anybody know? That's right. That's what we want to do. This isn't a one-time thing. We don't want to plant one seed. We want to throw seed everywhere we go. We don't want to see one family grow in Jesus. We want to see all families grow in Jesus. We don't want to see the harvest of one or two people. We want to see the harvest of hundreds and thousands of people. We, we want to do it again and again and again. We want to be a church that makes disciples, that plants churches, that makes disciples, that plants churches. By the grace of God, He's allowed us to do it. He's allowed us to be a part of that. So what does that look like on a personal level? Well, if you're a young Christian, and you, what you need to do is find a Paul. You need to find a Paul. You need to find someone that you can ask the hard questions, someone that can steer you down the narrow road, the difficult narrow road, someone that can pray with you, someone that can, you can imitate as they imitate Christ. And if you're a seasoned Jesus-following Christian, you need to find a Timothy. I'm convinced, I, I, seriously, I'm convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that this might be the single biggest blunder of the modern American church is that we have taken what was meant to be up close, life-on-life, life, intimate relationship and we've reduced it to stay six feet apart in social media posts. So the challenge today is Timothy Timothy's. Find a Paul. Paul, find Timothy's. There's no, there's no, it's not a hidden code in the New Testament. We see Jesus do it with 12 guys, and then we see those guys do it with other guys, and we see that, those guys do it with other guys. It's all the way through the Bible, through the New Testament. This is key. Herb Hodges used to say, Christianity is a lifestyle for a lifetime. We're not to get weary. We, sh we shouldn't stop. We should keep going. We should keep following Jesus. Yes, there's tough days. But the tough days are sometimes when you can do the most growing.
If we're going to claim Christ, we need to get serious about how we live for him. It's a tough thing. It's a tough word. But that's what we need to do, and we need to encourage each other to do so. So I hope, I hope you think about these things this week. Maybe it's your own children. I mean, absolutely, you should disciple your own children. But if you don't have children in the home, maybe you should look for somebody else. And if you feel like you need discipling, there's some guys you, or, or ladies that we can put you in touch with if you really want to grow. We don't need to be like the Corinthians in chapter 3 and, and be stuck on spiritual milk. We need to mature so that we can mature others, so that we can make disciples that plant churches, that make disciples that plant churches. All right. That's what I got for today. Let's pray. We got food. We'd love for you guys to stay and eat with us. Um,